From Upstate Medical University, I'm Amber Smith. This is HealthLink on Air. An interesting study was published recently about how social interactions can affect cancer patients' response to treatment. Here to talk about this concept is Dr. Koshal Nanavati, an assistant professor of family medicine and the medical director of integrative therapy at Upstate. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me, Amber. I appreciate it. So this study came from the National Human Genome Research Institute, which is part of the National Institutes of Health and the University of Oxford in the United Kingdom. Researchers found that cancer patients were a little more likely to survive for five years or more after chemotherapy if they interacted during chemotherapy with other patients who also survived for five years or more, and patients were a little more likely to die in less than five years after chemotherapy when they interacted during chemotherapy with those who died in less than five years. So what is this study really telling us? Well, it's very interesting. I mean, this is a seed for a further conversation in many ways. It's what we call a retrospective analysis. So they Looking looked back. back at data over time and then drew some conclusions based on what they were looking for, searching for, kind of data mining within that. And so their real question was, is there a benefit to social interaction? And then really, uh, was there a difference between the type of social interaction, right? So uh, ultimately, great data would be data that's looking forward so that it's a directed type of a focus. Mm-hmm. Um, so some of this is speculative. Um, and so uh, at the same time, I find it very intriguing and interesting that they actually address this topic because it's very important to talk about the fact that this journey of cancer oftentimes is felt to be a lonely one. Uh, And so the idea of feeling supported, having support, and then having support that's actually encouraging positivity versus an environment where you feel sadness, sorrow, distress, just being in that environment and the stress response that that can initiate in the body as well. It made me think about like a bike club where, I mean, some people will go bike riding on their own and some people will also bike ride with a club and the idea being that you sort of... I don't know, do better or challenge yourself more when there's people around that are in that same mindset? Yeah, and that gets into kind of, you know, we talk about things like the herd mentality and the peer groups you keep and the impact that they have. So those studies have been done with children, they've been done with adults, in the work environment and socially as well. And then you think about on the broader scope, and again, because today's discussion is kind of fun in many ways with speculation, Uh, Think about things like geothermal interactions in electrodynamic and electromagnetic fields. And then you think about, you know, being around people who exude a positivity. You know, is their energy impacting us? And again, as I say this, I'm smiling because there are a lot of people in our listening audience who are going to jump on this and say that stuff is all hogwash. And the point is, we may not have all that information yet. These guys were also speculating based on what they saw in a database. But... The question is, can we start from here and really get further in depth over time to recognize that there are certain things that may benefit or that, you know what, it's a nature type of a thing and that the nurturing component may not have as big an impact. You know, we don't know, uh, but it fascinates me. You know, and so people can't see us, but you and I are both smiling right now because this is the type of stuff that takes us beyond the known, outside the box, to really bring back and share new information with people as well. Well, this may be the first large-scale study that uh, looked at how social context in a treatment setting can play a significant role in the disease outcomes. So um, do you believe that the treatment setting, the place where you're receiving chemo or, or another treatment, has an impact on how well the treatment 
works. But I think that makes a big difference for a lot of people, just in terms of how they feel walking into that space, how they feel while they're there and when they leave, and the sense of calm uh, that environment can bring versus feeling like you're you know, in this chaotic zone where people are anxious, staff are anxious, there's a lot of hustle and bustle, uh, you kind of feel like you're off in the corner and nobody's really paying attention or caring for you, and that other people are distressed and you really can't engage. Versus an environment like these guys looked at where they actually mapped out uh, proximity, right? And they did kind of a scattergram looking at how you were in relation to other people receiving treatment. And if you were in closer proximity, that seemed to show a greater social engagement. And that was their kind of extrapolation. Uh, but that seemed to have some positive correlation potentially, which is cool. Uh, and I think at Upstate we're trying to do that now more with the environment we're building with the new cancer center that has a soothing, calming, nurturing environment where our staff are able to engage patients to help them to feel comfortable. Uh, and oftentimes patients tend to bond because their cycles of treatment are consistent with other people uh, who may have similar types of uh, disease or dis-ease that they're actually working to relieve. Yeah, I've been up and um, seen that space and it, it it's really set up really nicely in the healing garden. It looks out onto the healing garden. That's correct. Um, and they do have space for, for privacy if there's something that comes up that, you know, someone needs to kind of be off on their own for. But um, in large measure, there's it's a lot of open area. Well, so. there's a, there's a, uh, several points here, you know. So the one is social interaction. Are we talking about family? Are we talking about people who are suffering with or dealing with cancer at the same time? So a peer group of people going through the same or similar journey versus family support. And while the authors talk about the possibility of, you know, family support may have a potential better outcome, the reality is it depends on the individual, their personal relationships, right. how they engage with peer groups. And so, again, this is such a unique uh, type of situation and with most dis-ease it's individual from the perspective of the person's life and so trying to help them to find contentment healing when we can't always cure uh, these are important points as well you know so we think about stress and stress response and the fact that cortisol is something that actually goes up right so even just the thought of something that makes us anxious raises the cortisol in the body right that's the stress response. That's the stress response. Okay. And that triggers something called oxidative stress, which can then trigger cancerous change in the body as well. So using things like nutrition, eating healthy uh, foods that are going to be less caustic in the body, less inflammatory uh, potential in the gut, uh, physical activity and exercise, right? We even know that exposing yourself to green space, whether you're looking at a screensaver or green, greenery, uh, or you're actually out in nature or actually getting your hands in there, that actually has a benefit for reducing recurrence of cancers, especially breast cancer. Uh, then we think about the fact that when you stress about things you can't control, you're constantly in a state of stress and distress because you really can't change it and your mind is stuck there, right? Versus focusing on things you can control like creating a joyful moment, right? That's something that we can actively do. If we constantly fill our cup of life with that joy, suddenly that's the flavor of our cup, right? That's the flavor of our soup. Uh, and then mindfulness, we're teaching that to medical students now as well. Uh, and here I think our curriculum has actually leaped ahead of many environments because we've made a part of the cur curriculum for all students where they learn about mindfulness, the benefits of med meditation, and the fact that even a few minutes a day can lower cortisol, boost serotonin, 
melatonin. So serotonin, you think about Prozac and the antidepressant medications. Helps with something called DHEA, which balances testosterone and estrogen. Uh, helps boost dopamine, right? You can get doped up on breathing the right way, right? I mean, think about how we change a culture in this country if people knew that. If they could. Uh, that's and right. so the medical students are doing this themselves. That's right. And learning how to do it and learning the benefits. That's right. And the point is, at the end of the day, there is a science, there is an art, there's also simplicity, right? It's about breath. We all breathe. If we know how to breathe the right way, we actually get enhanced benefits. And if we breathe the wrong way, as we do when we're stressing, where we breathe shallow, we end up retaining carbon dioxide, which triggers anxiety, stress response, cortisol, and that whole cascade of events. So that fight or flight, norepinephrine, epinephrine, uh, really is something that we can tailor and control just by recognizing the moment uh, people talk about quantity of life. I want to live longer, right? How about we start focusing on quality of life, right? I want to live a more wholesome, fulfilled life where I have contentment and peace. And if I'm there, I'm no longer seeking because I'm not in distress. I'm at that place, right? And now every moment forward is bonus, right? So Good I tell point. my cancer patients that, you know, just because they have this diagnosis doesn't mean that um, you know, I'm not guaranteed tomorrow just as much as they're not. None of us know that for sure. But if we distress about the fact that I might not have a tomorrow, we're missing out on it today, right? And it sounds very simplistic, but when you live it, it shifts your thinking. And as I was mentioning, it shifts your biochemistry. So every cell in the body is healthier as a result. Wow. This is Upstate's HealthLink on Air. I'm your host, Amber Smith, talking with Dr. Koshal Nanavati, the Medical Director of Integrative Therapy at Upstate. Well, let's talk more about the stress hormones. Um, if they're bad for people being treated for cancer, they're bad for everyone, right? That's correct. Um, how is the body's stress response supposed to work, and what happens when it's malfunctioning? And so I said that's correct, but let me take that back, right? So stress isn't all bad, right? Because stress can help us to concentrate better, focus better, to pay attention better. Okay. It can also help us to realize that, hey, I've got this moment. Let me make the most of it, right? Let me tell the ones I love that I love them. Let me close loops in my life that are unclosed, that are causing me distress. So that's not bad. It's when we stay in a state of stress, and specifically in focusing on things that we can't control, that's when stress starts to become negative. So I don't know that we necessarily say that all stress is bad, but stress for a brief time period or stress that's focused to help us improve, right? Coal under stress becomes a diamond, right? And so it's not that it's all bad. But what we have to do is focus on how we channel it, how we deal with it, and then how we release it. Right? And that's where mindfulness comes into play. That's where regaining focus on the bigger picture in life. Uh, and then thinking about what's my purpose, uh, thinking about what do I wish to contribute. When we start focusing in that way, then we start to live a more purposeful life as well. So if you let stress kind of get the best of you, and um, you may end up having medical headaches, um, weight gain, depression, anxiety, a lot of those uh, maladies have a root of, of stress, right? Correct. So um, you mentioned mindfulness, um, healthy diet probably plays a role too, or no? Absolutely. So I, I talk about this often, you know, the core four of wellness, um, and the things that I've written about, the book that I've written in terms of nutrition, physical exercise, stress management, and spiritual wellness as being the roots. Um, and when you think about healthcare, think about the trunk of the tree as being disease prevention. 
the branches is disease management, the leaves is innovations, but the roots are really healthcare promotion, wellness promotion. And these are the fundamentals. We've known about it for thousands of years, but we tend to forget uh, and we get caught up in the moment. And that's where when we just take a deep breath to recenter, kind of interrupt the pattern, as one of my friends David G uh, likes to say, um, you have the opportunity to then refocus and shift your focus. If you don't like the direction things are going in, take a deep breath, right? Just pause. And now you can shift direction if you want to or keep going if you like it. So as an integrative medicine specialist, um, do you prescribe things like meditation and yoga to your patients? Uh, every day. Actually. Every day. Uh, and, you know, depending on their physical health, their other health conditions, uh, yoga is also a physical practice. And so for some people, certain things are easier to do than others. Mm -hmm. But regardless, we're all breathing, right? Until we're not, we're all breathing. And so uh, I also like to tell people that, you know, we're living until the day we're not. And so live as if you're living, right? Not as if you're dying, right? And that means that we can always enhance uh, the environment we're in just by our presence, by our smile. In fact, even when you fake a smile, cortisol goes down and serotonin goes up. So, you know, I'd like to see more people as I walk around just smiling. And at least if they've heard this and they're smiling, then that's going to help heal their body naturally. So how do you define integrative medicine? Some people might not have heard of, heard of that. Yeah, so uh, people, a lot of people have heard of complementary and alternative medicine. Right. Uh, integrative medicine is conventional plus complementary medicine. So alternative is something that people often do instead of conventional care. Uh, complementary is uh, stuff that people do in conjunction with that's rooted in some degree of evidence. Uh, and what we know is that conventional Western medicine isn't all bad. And there are many, many great benefits of some of the therapies and treatments that we uh, tend to help people with, especially when they're acutely ill. Uh, things like surgery, things like certain medications that can benefit. Uh, but when it comes to chronic conditions, we don't have great cures or healing in conventional medicine. And that's where a lot of the complementary modalities, even some of the older systems like Ayurveda, Chinese medicine, and the fundamentals of the core four, nutrition, exercise, stress management, spiritual wellness, actually can help to heal and potentially reverse disease. I mean, we know cruciferous vegetables can actually potentially reverse plaque in arteries. We don't really have medications that do that, and yet this food can actually benefit if we're consistent with eating it, right? It's phenomenal that this has been around for so long, and how many people actually know what cruciferous vegetables are, right? Broccoli, Leafy greens. Yeah, broccoli, cabbage, cauliflower, kale, spinach, Brussels sprouts, asparagus. Um, you know, that stuff actually is healing in the body, right? Now, not everyone can take all of it if they have certain health conditions. They have to be careful about the amounts. But the reality is that famous adage of let food be that medicine and let medicine be that food uh, really holds true. And we're coming to back to it. Wow. Huh? Interesting. Well, getting back to cancer a little bit, um, doesn't a cancer diagnosis itself produce stress? It does. If I'm, told, if I'm told I have cancer, in fact, uh, last year my son um, had a little scare health-wise and um, a mass was found and initially the terminology was aggressive. And so you think about all these things, right? We thought uh -huh. about that too. It turned out not to be, uh, you know, thank goodness for him. Uh, but at the same time, when somebody mentions the word cancer, about 20 years ago, I think there was a lot more distress because we really didn't have as many therapies. We have a lot more options, and as we recognize that the word lifestyle plays a great role in the healing journey for a patient with cancer so that they feel that they're living with cancer and not dying with it, 
Um, and I actually like to go, and we're going to start a movement here, I believe, called Thrivership. So the idea of survivorship and survivorship groups is still tied to surviving the cancer. Thrivership is launching your life beyond, right? And so the point is, I get a label, that's fine. Now, what do I do with this label? And more importantly, how do I optimize my quality of life now that I know I have this label, right? And that's what I try to help people with with our integrative oncology program. That's what Upstate is actually, you know, putting a lot of energy in as well. Uh, not just for cancer, but in terms of how we help our community uh, mm-hmm. understand healing uh, when cure isn't always possible. Oh, well, that's really neat. Thank yeah. you so much for being here and talking about this. My pleasure. My guest has been Dr. Koshal Nanavati, a doctor of family medicine and the medical director of integrative therapy at Upstate. I'm Amber Smith for Upstate's podcast and talk show, HealthLink on Air.